0: Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show Podcast. It is the one-year anniversary of the death of Dale Howarchuk, and so Kelly Moore caught up with his former teammate and good friend Scott O'Neill to remember, Ducky. And we'll also talk about the new BC Lions ownership with Julio Caravada, Lions radio analyst, as well as look ahead to their game against the Elks Thursday night. That's all coming up on the podcast.
1: Scott, uh, first off, before we we talk a little bit about Dale and and a little bit about this anniversary, just maybe uh, flash back to last Friday, and uh, you kept it together pretty well. I think you outdid Mark Chipman on that one. (laughs) Thanks, Kelly. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Yeah, it was a special day. Obviously, uh, it's amazing what the Jets are doing. Uh, You know, Mark and uh, the rest of the organization are going to do for Dale. uh, You know, not only the statue, but the naming of the street behind uh, the arena and the ducky ponducky and all those different things are just uh just outstanding uh things for his family to uh see uh, and appreciate how much Dale has been loved and uh, will be continue to be uh remembered uh here in our, here in Winnipeg but also in Manitoba and uh you know to have that statue for them it's been uh, I know that they're uh really looking forward to next year when the ceremony happens where they can be here to see it unveiled
1: and you would know this as well as anyone, Scott, because you spent so much time with Dale, uh, both personally and professionally. But uh, I think this is as good an indication as any for what you just described and what the, the organization is doing because of who Dale was. I mean, I, I had some interactions with him. I certainly wouldn't have been in his circle of close friends, but you know, we chatted every once in a while he was just an incredible person aside from being uh, a generational talent on the ice
2: yeah you know later in life you get into horses and uh he was always a big golfer but his passion was hockey and um he became a coach in the junior level and you know just he lived and breathed hockey uh since he was a young kid and uh whether it was talking to you or me or a fan or his next door neighbor uh his passion came out all the time and uh you know it is just um and I think that it's also it's like I mentioned last week that once you met Dale you know you were a friend for life and um he uh you know he went out of his way to uh you know to you know talk hockey talk shop and he's not was you know that I just think that that was his love and um you know to see everything that's going on I mean he, he would just be so humbled and He'd have that little smirky grin on his face and, you know, giving it the old, can you imagine, Ernie, where we be where we are now? But uh, um, that's just him. You know, he was uh, he was so true blue that way.
1: Well, let's go back to, I think it was the 79-80 season where you guys uh, played together for the first time in Cornwall. I don't know if you crossed paths before then uh, in the Ontario minor uh, hockey ranks, but go back to when you were a teenager, Scott, and you guys were playing for the Cornwall Royals. Did you? did you see Dale becoming the kind of a guy and I'm not talking about player about the, the kind of a person even back, uh, at that time, at that stage of your lives?
2: Yeah. You know what? I haven't, I haven't really told the story too much, but, uh, actually I was playing for the Kingston Voyageurs and Dale was playing for the Oshawa Legionnaires. Uh, we were playing in the Metro Junior B, uh, league in, uh, in Ontario. And, uh, he is was Mike Keenan and, uh, we were playing in the second round of the playoffs, uh, against Dale, and we had obviously played against them, uh, you know, and he's a year younger than me, so he was 15 and I was 16. Um, and he was the best player on, on his Oshawa team. And that back then, all the guys we were playing with, I was actually playing with my older brother. Everybody was 18 and 19 years old, and Dale was dynamic then, and they beat us in that playoff series. And I just remember, who is this skinny little, uh, guy? You know, I, you know, I, like I said, I hadn't had a chance to play, uh, midget or anything against them but anyways uh sure enough it worked itself out that we got picked one and two to cornwall and uh, uh that september we came to cornwall for training camp and they had uh, there's a hotel there called the anchor hotel and um there was four other guys from kingston that had gotten drafted to cornwall we all came down together but we were all in the hotel and uh i was actually just it was a hot day and went out and i was in the swimming pool and there's this other skinny little kid swimming at the other end of the pool and sure enough Uh, that was Dale and, uh, went down and introduced ourselves and, uh, it was funny. We sat in the pool probably for two hours. We got talking about our playoff series, uh, Kingston and, uh, Oshawa. And then we got talking about Cornwall and major junior hockey and, uh, friendship started there in that pool that went on obviously, uh, you know, for a very long time. And it was, uh, you know, it was just Dale's passion, uh, his excitement about going to Cornwall, obviously, uh, about being a best player it didn't take him long he was probably uh you know the top five in scoring in the league probably 30 games into into his rookie season and we went on to win the World cup and dale was uh you know obviously one of the most uh you know uh, talked about players uh for the following year's draft and uh you know we had the fortune of winning that World cup and winning another one the next year and he became the best player in canada um you know so in the number 1 pick overall the winnipeg so it was uh yeah, it, it started a long time ago but uh you know a friendship was born way back in that swimming pool
1: so when your kids uh, scott and, and, and you know 17 18 years old that sort of thing and you're and you're playing in cornwall is there any memory that sticks out in that first year um you know about dale uh that uh, you know would define him uh, as a hockey player, uh, because uh, he was dynamic right from the start, the same way that he was when he broke into the National Hockey League.
2: Yeah, you know what? The the biggest thing I remember was that uh, I was a little bit bigger than him. Not that we weren't very we weren't very heavy, but um, he he still wasn't very big. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he he was pretty light. He probably weighed 155 pounds, but um, you know, maybe 160. But in the, it, back then, it's like, again, like it was just happening in the junior B league. Like, everybody's taking a run at him. Everybody's taking cheap shots at him. And I'll tell you what, it didn't matter. He didn't let anything bother him. and he, he found ways to get out of the way about taking any big hits. And, um, you know, like I said, he, guys were always trying to, you know, take his head off, and he found a way. And he would, uh, he would still come out at the end of the night with three or four points. And, uh, you know what, he just, uh, his desire to... To win, his desire to be the best player was amazing, and you could feel it. You just his hunger to, um, you know, to have that puck, and uh, you know, just for a young guy. I mean, we were supposed to be rookies, but it is amazing how quick uh, you know the older players were starting to look and realize what a great, great talent we had uh, on our team.
1: Yeah, uh, Scott Arneal, uh, who of course uh, is synonymous uh, in this town with hockey, is joining us uh, talking about uh, his longtime friend and teammate Dale Howarchuk, who one year ago passed away. Um, and, and just as we reminisce, Scott, uh, you just mentioned, you know, you guys uh, have the great fortune to go one, two to Cornwall uh, in your junior days. And then you wind up repeating that in the National Hockey League. Did Ducky ever think you were dogging him, maybe?
2: yeah really uh yeah no i just told him i'd follow him along there take me wherever you want to go
1: when you guys played here in winnipeg as as young guys uh I mean, it, it's, you've been coaching at the National Hockey League level now for uh, uh, it, know, a decade or more, at least, anyway, I get, because I know it's been a while since I, uh, I was away from Winnipeg the first time. So let's just say about a decade and a half. And uh, oh, Yeah, I, how, might be on, I might be on two decades now, Kelly. Is that? Oh, well, I didn't want to <laughs> date you, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, but that's all right. It, it just makes me older, so. Everybody so they figure out how old I actually am. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So when you look at the players that you're dealing with now, and and you know for the most part they're they're at least two or three years older than when you and Dale uh, first broke into the pros in Winnipeg. But how much how much more savvy, how much more worldly, I guess, maybe because of all of the technology now, are the players compared to? when you and Dale first got here to Winnipeg, you must've been bright eyed and bushy tailed.
2: Yeah. You know what it, uh, the players today, obviously the, the, the tools that are available to them, not only on ice, off ice, the coaching, the individual coaching, the, uh, uh, the training that's available. Uh, some of these guys are 12 months of the year. It's just absolutely amazing. We never had ice 12 months of the year, let alone being able to do that. But, um, you know what? I just think that, uh, we were very fortunate that two things happened That one we got to go to a really good organization like the Cornwall Royals and we got to win uh that allowed us to obviously uh to play you know against uh, some of the best teams in Canada but it also allowed us after our first year to represent Canada at the World Juniors it was prior to them putting the national team together and we got to go to Germany uh to play in the World Juniors um we got to pick up a couple players from our league but it didn't go so good. I think we finished seventh or eight teams. But it put us on a – it allowed us to realize what a big stage hockey was in the world, and it allowed us to – actually, we came home with that same team and won the Memorial Cup again. So um, it allowed us to grow. It allowed us to kind of figure out, uh, you know, what it is. Um, it's funny because the very first year when we won the Memorial Cup, the Memorial Cup was in Regina, and we had to fly to uh, Winnipeg and then bust to Brandon because the first couple of games were in Brandon and then bust to Regina. There was half of our plane, and I was one of them, Dale was one of them, we had never been on an airplane before, huh. so it's, uh, it's amazing that some of the things you go through, and then we're out in the prairies, and we couldn't believe when we're driving from Winnipeg to Brandon to Regina that any place could be so flat, you know, and then... You know, a few years later, we both end up getting drafted here to Winnipeg. So it was uh, was pretty special. We'd never been on a plane before, and the first place we fly is Winnipeg. And guess what? That's where we ended up getting drafted as well.
1: Scott, uh, I don't know where you were on this day a year ago, but I I remember like it was yesterday. I was uh, actually getting some uh, work done on my uh, glasses, on my reading glasses, uh, and got a phone call. Uh, from uh, the radio station, saying that uh, there were reports uh, that Dale had passed. Uh, with my contacts, could I please get confirmation? And I was lucky enough to do so uh, with some of the people I was able to talk uh, with. But I, I, I knew that it was coming. But it's when it when it happens, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Um, uh, you had been among that group. Uh, that had that privilege and that honor to speak to Dale in, in his final days. Uh, so I'm not sure if it was the same emotion or the same reaction that hit you on this day one uh, one year ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a tough couple of days. That, I was in the bubble then in Toronto, um, and we were in the playoffs against the Islanders, and it was actually uh, yeah, I think we were Game Three or maybe Game Four. Um, I think it was Game Four actually. Uh, Obviously, so knew we had been talking quite a bit, and actually, I was, I was kept trying to. I was going to leave the bubble and come, and he was so adamant about me not coming, and um, that he that you know we had seen each other recently, and he just we had just been talking probably that you know last five or six days, but um, I talked to him on the morning of the 18th, uh, just prior to it happen, and you know we got I got to say goodbye a couple times. It seemed like it's you know, Saturday night, Sunday night and then even Monday and then I talked to him Tuesday morning and um, you know, he was at peace and uh, you know, we talked about there's lots of personal things we talked about and a lot to do with family and stuff. But um yeah, it was uh when it finally happened when uh when Eric called me, his son Eric called me there and when everything was finally over that um, you know, the reality set in and it, it certainly made for a hard thing. The only the good thing that ended up happening was I was able to attend the funeral and, uh, the following Monday I got to be able there to be with his uh, mom and dad, Ed and Eleanor and his sister Dana and then Crystal and the family. So, um, and a couple of close friends. So that part was, uh, you know, there was some closure for that, but, uh, yeah, it certainly was a tough, uh, that was a tough week, week and a half there, maybe two weeks at, uh, near the end.
1: Uh, just in in the event uh, people are are not uh, aware, uh, Scott uh, is it the, Are you going into your third or fourth year as an assistant coach uh, with the Washington Capitals? This is uh, yeah, this is year four. Year four, okay. At least I got that part right. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good, Scott. You mentioned that yeah. you know there there were a lot of personal conversations uh, that that uh, took place with Dale between you and him. I'm just wondering, is there one conversation that you maybe feel comfortable that he'd be all right with you sharing with the the people who are listening tonight, or uh, was that uh, is that something that needs to stay between the two of you?
2: Um, well, there's lots that kind of that is private, but you know, there's two things, and I actually got a, a, an opportunity to be on a Zoom call about uh, two months ago with uh, our uh, our uh, eighty eighty two. Uh, memorial cup team we all got together and had a chance and i got to tell all the guys that like dale wanted me to talk to them and how much the junior how much junior hockey meant to him how much being a corner world and how much it meant to those guys and so i got to pass on to them uh, just how grateful dale was to each and every one of them and dale actually you know he he phoned a lot of his friends and his close to you know close uh, relationships and he talked to all these guys prior to the 18th last year, and uh, which helped a lot of people sort of have some closure with it. But uh, um, but at the same time, I told that story last week. Is probably the one story where I had we we both had a good laugh for an extended period of time. Was when uh, you know we were talking about the statue, and I asked him if he's going to have his hands in the air scoring a goal, or if he's going to be in a passing situation. And he's the one that said, "I no, maybe it'll be me back checking." And it used to be something we used to laugh about all the time that <laughs> uh, you know that he's on his way back and just happened the puck was coming the other way. That's how he ended up on a breakaway. And so, um, you know, he's the one that, you know, he said, you know, Zinger said that they probably couldn't find any video or pictures of him being in any back checking, uh, poses anyway. So it was, it was a good laugh that we got to share. Um, you know, we talked a lot of stories. I mean, if we were talking about Cornwall or we were talking about our first years here in Winnipeg and some funny things that happened with Fergie or funny things happened in junior that, you know, we get to one story would lead into another, and um, so it was nice to reminisce, and uh, yeah, he, it was good to hear him laugh. And,
1: and you know, it is so uh, Dale Howardchuck to want to be able to share, uh, you know, the, the last uh, days or weeks that he had uh, with the people that that were close to him. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see how how big that circle was, though, and the time that he made Scott uh, to make sure that he talked to the people that were the most important to him in his life.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know that he shocked an awful lot of people uh, because he was the one phoning them, uh, yeah, a few days before, where most scenarios people are trying to get a hold of him, and uh, no, he's the one that reached out. He obviously had a you know a great conversation with his family a uh, very tough conversation with his family. Um, he didn't want his family to see him, su- see him suffer. And at the end of the day, he got to say his goodbyes on his term, and that was the big thing he talked to me about was that, you know, he was going out where he got to have the last word, and that's what he was so thankful for. And, uh, you know, he didn't want, didn't want it to be any other way that he could say goodbye and that it, is, that it would be goodbye. And, um, yeah, I know that he was uh, he was – so happy that he could possibly that he could do that and then even just like you said the gesture of you know reaching out even how bad he felt uh sort of health-wise he'd still reached out and had some tough conversations with people um you know and still it was something that he felt he needed to do and that's just the way dale was about things about uh, tackling things head-on just like when he first got diagnosed with cancer told everybody he was going to beat it and he did and uh just unfortunately the second boat came but uh at the end of the day that was dale to a uh,
1: to a man you know whether it was in buffalo or barry and i know he had some other stops later on in his nhl career i think st louis and philadelphia as well uh i don't know that they would have though uh barry perhaps uh, and certainly in his hometown but i don't know if any other city that dale played in or or worked in uh would have felt that same type of close personal connection to him that that winnipeg does and, and so scott as we close out the conversation here does it comfort you as a, a longtime friend and a longtime teammate of dale's that uh that this city uh absolutely reveres him and showed that the way that it did uh, when he passed and uh even uh, for the last few months uh, with some of the tributes that have come dale's way
2: Yeah, you know what, Mark Timmins said it well there last week when he said, uh, you know, Dale is uh, Winnipeg's Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr. Um, That couldn't be so, you know, that is so true, so uh, right on. Um, You know, not just, I remember, you know, just like way, way back, you know, it was uh, Winnipeg, was uh, when we first came here and got in the NHL, obviously there wasn't uh, expansion like there is today, and they, you know, were allowed to keep a couple of players, so there was going to be lean years, and there had been lean years, and you know what he talked about putting the jets on the map and he single-handedly did that and so many people are so thankful and so proud that uh you know he was a big part of that that helped you know some great players that came along after but at the same time he's the one that spearheaded it all and uh you know what he he lived here for you know most of his career he uh, married a girl from uh, crystal from winnipeg or from you know Gimli, from winnipeg manitoba that area type thing so he you know what, he golfed here. He, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was in the community, uh, did an awful lot, uh, charity wise. And, um, yeah, so Winnipeg, even though he did, you know, move away at the end, went back to Ontario at the end of the day is his, you know, Winnipeg was his home. Winnipeg was the, the place where he grew into a man. And it was a place that, uh, you know, he, he really, um, you know, really flourished with a lot of things in his life.
1: Scott, thanks a bunch for doing this. Uh, Really appreciate it. I know the summers are short uh, when you're a a coach in the National Hockey League, so uh, we'll look forward to uh, reminiscing with you you again. Hopefully, there'll be time when Washington comes out here just before Christmas.
2: Yeah, that'll be good, hopefully. uh, It's always nice, actually, to get out on the road again there, especially after the last couple of years here, not being able to travel. So I look forward to it, and I appreciate it, Kelly, having the chance to talk to you today.
0: So big news in the CFL today, as there is new ownership of the BC Lions, entrepreneur Amar Doman purchases the Lions from the estate of David Braley. And joining us to talk about this is Julio Caravada. He is radio analyst for the BC Lions. Julio, uh, welcome to the show. Good evening.
3: Good evening. Uh, Just before we get started, like, does Atani get enough publicity? Like, that's ridiculous, home run eight innings pitch tonight my gosh I mean that's 40 homers too that's like, yeah I know it's that's we're talking about the major leagues we're not talking about double-a or something you know I mean he's pitching at the major league level hitting 40 home runs like that's crazy wow anyways I'm sorry I had to say That's something. okay no
0: it's it's totally cool It's 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 something that it's like literally unprecedented Right, There's Babe Ruth comparisons, which was 100 years ago, but the man is his own thing. It's incredible, and the fact that he plays for a team that's just never good kind of sucks.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. All
0: right, so football. Let's talk football. Yeah,
3: sorry, about the the ownership. Yeah, no, big day today here. Um, Clearly, it's been something that has been happening. We've been waiting for something to happen the last few years, actually. Um, You know, when David, uh, Mr. Bailey, was alive, uh, you know he always said that he he wanted to sell the team but he wanted to make sure that he was selling it to the right group and he wanted it to be local and there was a lot of standards there that uh, you know he wanted to make sure it was in the right hands um and unfortunately with the passing of Mr. Brayley his estate uh, now has uh, followed up with his wishes and and um you know sold the uh sold the uh, team to uh, as you said Amart Mark uh, Dolman so uh, you know we're we're excited out here. Uh, finally, some local ownership. A guy who's tied into this community and been in this community a long time. Uh, he was saying today, I think his family's been here over a hundred years. So he's a very very well connected businessman who has a lot of contacts. And uh, it's going to be exciting uh, new era for the Lions and have a new vision, a new a new um, new ideas about how this how it can be run and how it can be turned around. And um, it's exciting.
0: Now why? Is it so important that it's a BC guy owning the BC well, Lions, a guy that's uh, st- like, as you said, connected to the community there?
3: Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, you know, when you go across the league, you know, you see, you know, and this is no, this is no disrespect to Mr. Braley. Like, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to be on the team when Mr. Braley bought the, bought the lines. And then, you know, I've been around for another 23 years with him. I've, I've known him almost 30 years, um, but he was in Hamilton right and when this team saw it's like you know in the 2000s when they were at their their peak there um with Wally Buono and Bob Ackles was the general manager and president or or he excuse me he was the president the the thing that Bob was able to do was that he he was a, a local guy who knew the businessmen here in this community had started the water boys had got all these people involved and and excited about the game and um, when when Bob passed, I mean, it just kind of, it, it fil- fil- filtered away because David was in Hamilton and there wasn't anybody that kind of filled that role again. So, um, you know, we had Dennis Skulski here who did a good job, but then he retired as well. So Rick Lalashur has done a very good job in, in, in trying to get the ownership uh, issue secured. Um, but I think, again, like that community where, you know, when Mr. Dolman calls somebody, you know, because he is so well connected, People are calling him back, right? They're, they're they're tied into you know if they're tied into his business or they're tied into him, and you know, I mean those are the kinds of people you want to get involved because they can make things happen, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see you know what his vision is and and where he's going to take this team.
0: And in a time like this, as well as we're still in this pandemic, the CFL goes through a mm-hmm. 2020 without any football. At a time when the league's finances are are uh, in question, to have someone uh-huh. come in and offer some stability must be huge for not just the Lions yeah. but the league as a whole.
3: Absolutely, I know Randy Ambrosio was out here today um, as part of the press conference, and you could see, you know, how happy he was that uh, um, that it, that very thing. That the, you know, I mean, we're we're moving away from talking about the doom and gloom, and we're talking about, you know, like we're talking about this kind of scenario. We're bringing new people who are excited and, and want to be involved in the league. And, uh, as you said, right there, the, the COVID was, was, was tough, it was tough on everybody, uh, especially tough on, on, on CFL football and, and all, everybody who's tied into it. So, um, to get moving past that and talking about football and talking about, you know, new people getting involved and people that are very successful in their business and transferring that over into the football world is, is exciting. So hopefully, you know, here, uh, I know the Lions have gotten off to a pretty decent start. Uh, I know fans here are pretty excited about the way that they've played up to this point. Uh, outside of the first three drives in Saskatchewan, uh, they've been a very, very good football team. So uh, let's hope they can they can keep that going and put on a good show for their home fans uh, tomorrow night and um, get people excited because if, if the Lions play good football, I'm convinced that there's there's a there's a big portion of people that want an excuse to go down there and if they're playing entertaining football they're going to go. And
0: we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to ask you about though the relationship that Vancouver as a whole kind of has with the football team because when we talk about the mm-hmm. CFL we we note how how it's thriving in places like Winnipeg, like Regina, uh, and maybe not so much in the bigger cities like in Toronto and yeah. in in Vancouver. Is it just a matter of if the team is great it'll work out or is it maybe deeper than well, that?
3: Well, I, I think honestly, like I know that there's a core core group of, of, of fans here that, that love the team and that, that will continue to support it. Um, and, and and obviously, um, you know, if the team, the success of the team has something to do with it as well, right? Like, um, you know, when they were 5 and 13, you know, in 2019, I think they were still getting like, you know, 16,000, 17,000 people now in a 60,000 seat stadium. It doesn't look very good. But um, there is that core group, and and you know the thing about Vancouver too is, you know it's it is a, a bit of a weird market in the sense that uh, during the summertime here it is very very difficult to get people to go inside, right? It, they just it, it's just too nice, and there's too many things to do. You can get on your kayak or your paddle board and go into the ocean, or go for walk down the seawall. Or uh, I'm convinced, and uh, you know I know that this is going to be a big ask, but the, uh, and it, the stadium. Here is a is a first class facility. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the best for watching CFL football. You're far away from the fans, or you're far far away from the field. Um, you know, there's it's just that there's just a, it feels like there's a disconnect there, right? And especially the way that younger people are watching the game. Like I like I, I point to places like Winnipeg and in Regina and in and Hamilton and in Ottawa. You know, those stadiums invite people to go and not only watch the game in their seat but if you want to go grab a beer and stand in the in in the concourse and still watch the game you can do that right and you know in ottawa and hamilton you got the whole end zones and in regina the rent the end zone where you can stand and walk around and you know you can have a beer and talk to your friends and still still watch the game that's just like the way the young people are are watching the game and they're on their phone and now with the betting hopefully they're going to be able to bet during the game and get more involved and um, so that's, that's what I think the biggest, the biggest issue is like everybody that talks to, that I talk to is, is always saying, yeah, geez, you know, I, I'd love to come, but you know, I don't want to sit in that stadium. You know I mean? It's a beautiful night. Like, and I know that, this, this, that having a, a covered stadium, it really helps when it's pouring rain here, but that's part of the, that's part of the, the, the experience as well, right. Is, is, is watching football outside in, in, in the weather and, and watching it go down. It's, it's always, you know, I was found, you know, exciting as, as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: So let's look ahead to tomorrow night. The Lions one and one against the zero and two Elks. What has been your yeah. impression of the Lions and the kind of weird start to the season with uh, Riley going in and then Rort coming in in week one and then Riley played all <laughs> of week two and it looked okay. I mean, kind of a, a an odd start to the season.
3: Yeah. Well, you mean the thing is too is that you know Mike Mike has some has some real soreness in his elbow and i think the whole week one issue was they were trying to trying to time it out with his with with i guess giving him a little numbing to to numb the pain a little bit and that turned into a bit of a disaster and they tried to do it a couple times it didn't work the third time it worked but then when he finally got in there and when he was feeling no like he wasn't feeling that pain the the numbness had gone into his hand and so that's the reason why he was, you know, throwing ducks all over the place because, you know, he was throwing he was throwing a, a decent duck because they were completing them. But that was one of the reasons he just couldn't spin the ball. He just couldn't feel it. So um, we saw what he was able to do last week against Calgary when he's healthy. You know, the the he, I was teasing him that he shouldn't practice at all if he's going to complete 80% of his passes and uh, throw for 360-odd yards. Um, maybe not practicing at all is the way to, for him to go, but, you um, it's you know this team when 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 Mike is at the helm uh, is very good offensively. There's there's not very many holes there. I think if they can be a little bit better running the football and Shaq Cooper is going to get into the lineup this week is is hopefully going to provide a little bit more uh, you know dynamic running uh, from that spot. But you look across the board, they've got Dominic Grimes, they've got Brian Burnham, they've got Lucky Whitehead, who has really really changed this offense. And you look at Lamar Durant, Shaq Johnson, they've got some weapons. Uh, so offensively, they're fine. And defensively is where they got a lot of young guys. But up to this point, I know it's only two games. Uh, outside of those three drives at the beginning of the game uh, against uh, Saskatchewan, that, that defense is really clamped down.
0: Yeah, they got just absolutely torched to start the game against the Riders, end up only yeah. losing by four. And then the next week, they win 15-9, to Bull Levi Mitchell playing on a broken leg throws four picks. We don't know what that would have been yeah. like if if he was healthy. But what what are the biggest questions you have about the Lions right now?
3: Well, I had I have well. You mean I, I think if if you would ask me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said my first thing would have been defense. You know, I mean, with all the changes they had up front, um, you know, they're they're. Uh, they, you know, I mean, they just, they just went with a lot of young guys, right? Guys that were had some NFL experience, but they didn't have any CFL experience. I think out of out of the the six or the seven defensive linemen that they dressed, I think J R Tavai was the only guy who had any, any CFL experience. And then you look at Jordan Williams, who was the middle linebacker, who was their first round pick as a rookie, starting at the at the middle linebacker. And then you throw in that they're starting Keontae Hunter and and Jalen Edwards Cooper, another yeah. another rookie uh in the, in the in the secondary so there's rookies everywhere young players everywhere and i i was like holy cow that's a lot to you know to ask of those young guys but they've answered like and again the, the sample size is still very small it's only two games but uh they've they've done decent up to this point um so i think that right now i'd, I'd say the biggest question mark i have is kit, with the kick um they haven't found um takura yamasaki who was the, you know, the Japanese kicker here who came from the Japan League. Um, You know, was a great kid and has a great leg, but he just hasn't kicked in in big games. Um, And so um, he was a great story. um, But unfortunately, you know, there's just no, I think with a shortened season, they just didn't have the time to, um, you know, to uh, develop him and kind of let him kind of grow into the position, right? They kind of threw him into the fire in Saskatchewan and then, you know, he missed a couple of field goals, and then missed an extra point, and then in Calgary missed a couple more field goals, and they just couldn't. They're not going to wait around uh, at this point, than knowing how valuable the wins are, and how how valuable the points are. That uh, they um, they haven't uh, they've they've moved in a different direction. So um, they have a couple of young kids here who are going to get a chance. Uh, they brought in a, a young guy Camacho, who is uh, I think he was um, in Hamilton uh for a little bit during training camp is going to come in and kick field goals um and then I think it's uh, another one is a Josh Flashstedt is a, is a punter who uh is going to be um doing the punting so I don't even think that it's going to be those two guys moving forward I think right now it's just a stopgap until uh you know they can figure things out in the long term
0: Last question. they will let you go. Uh, talking to Morley Scott earlier, voice of the Elks, he, he sung the praises of Marcus Sales, who's a, p- a name that people around these parts know well, with his work yeah. with the Bombers back in 2019. What well, what what an impact, or tell me about the impact he's made on the uh, BC yeah. Lions defense so far.
3: Well, yeah. F- well, first off, I, I I won't lie. Like, um, I've been you know when when they obviously when they signed him, I was excited because I know how good a player he was coming from Winnipeg and the kind of year that he had there. Um, I got a chance to talk to him. Last week, and God was he impressive to talk to too. Really nice, really nice young man. Um, but um, you know, just to, I think it just goes to show you, um, Keontae Harden. I was I mentioned him. He's a he's a he's a, uh, a rookie. Uh, he's playing the strong side half where where Marcus Sales usually plays. So that just goes to show you how much confidence they have in Harden that they decided that they think they think uh, Marcus Sales is going to make a very very good safety and. To this point, you know he's still learning, um, but man, oh man, he, he, the way he can, the way he's learning, he's learning fast. He's, he's uh, once he is able to start reading the quarterback's eyes and, and uses his instincts and not think about where he's playing. You know, sometimes when you change positions, your, you your thought process, you're thinking about a lot of different things. And once he starts to really feel comfortable in the middle there, I think he's gonna. I think he could really do some damage in there. So um, he's been a really, really good addition. Like I said, he's a great, great guy. And I think he provides a ton of leadership and um, he's got such a great mentality about playing. Like I said to him, I said, are you upset about the fact that you know you were an all-star at the halfback and they move you to safety? He's like, no, not at all. He goes, you know, man, I'm here to help the team in any way that I can. And um, if that's where they feel that I can help them, then that's where I'm going to go. And I was just like, wow, you know I mean? That's you don't hear that very often, but it was, you know, it, it was re- really refreshing and, um, I think he's going to have a very, very good year in the middle there.
0: Well, Julio, appreciate your time as always. Uh, have fun on the call tomorrow, and we'll probably talk to you again when the Bombers Head West in October.
3: I appreciate that. Thanks very much. Have a great night.
0: Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Joe podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6 30 to 9 p.m of course that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing then I don't have a show but I'll be part of the pre and post game coverage anyway thanks again for tuning in subscribe if you'd like we're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine so farewell until we meet again so, long,
3: and thanks for all the fish. so sad that it come to this we try to warn you, of the you may not
2: share our intellect.
3: Thank you. Thank you.